it just makes sense. Like nature is abundant. The systems that our society has have set up are purposely made to almost not be abundant. They're they're set up to exploit the humans. So when we look back to nature and see how much abundance is there, you know, it just made sense. Like we're taking these commoditized, super low cost items, aka the seeds, and turn them into a high value crop in no time at all. Like that just made sense to me when I saw it. We're working nine to five jobs, slaving away to make a pay that's getting taxed. And then we're paying for food that is then killing us. It's just like, it's all ass backwards. So, you know, I think the logical, the practical mind, it just brings us back to nature naturally and just shows us like, look, there's something here, grow food. And you could even make businesses out of it, help people, feed your family, feed yourself. It's amazing. Welcome back to another episode of Cultivating Change, everyone. I'm your host, Alex Corey. Thanks for sharing some of your time with me today. Today is a growing episode. This is a microgreen grower, Donnie Greens, out of Huntington, New York. Fabulous grower. I met through Curtis Stone, who is really my mentor just from all the content he put out with starting my own microgreen business. Many of you will know that I had KC Gardens. Justin Gardner and I, my farming partner, operated for a number of years in Asheville, North Carolina, supplying the local restaurants, uh, wholesale distributors, and direct consumer with farm fresh microgreens, which are just the baby version of any real vegetable, somewhere between seven days and two weeks on average. Fantastic way to get your nutrition easiest way to grow your own food and to reclaim a little of your food security and food sovereignty that I know of. And Donnie Greens and I just nerd out on our love of growing and hopefully we instill a little bit of that in you. Some tips and tricks for starting to grow your own microgreens for you and your family or as a side business. Nice to formally meet you, my friend. Yeah, you as well. Um, so I did a commercial micro operation in Asheville, North Carolina for about five years. So I had Casey Gardens and we've since merged into a, a local one. I started following you whenever Curtis Stone was leaving Kelowna and leaving his micro operation and started um, trending more into courses. And then yep. you popped onto my radar and I've, I've been watching your, uh, your story and your educational pieces. Um, could you give me just a little little background on how you found microgreens it's such a specific niche industry and such a cool thing yeah it is i'm so glad i did find this niche by the way it's like such a blessing it was one of the best decisions of my whole life to start this business up so it all started actually outside the window that's a that's in front of me here uh when i was about probably three four years old some of my first memories were was walking through my grandfather's garden and picking string beans off the vine and eating them fresh and that was the first experience I had eating just like these fresh foods that were right off the vine. So that was pretty impactful. Um, my parents never had a garden. I guess my dad was in charge of weeding that garden when he was a kid. So it, it skipped that generation and then it uh, came back again for me. And um, so really not a ton of gardening experience. Like wasn't it wasn't really a big part of my life growing up and into my middle age years, not middle aged, uh, middle school years and high school years. Not quite middle aged yet, I don't think. Um, so I always knew I wanted to be an entrepreneur. Like even since I was young, I was hustling my classmates for pencils and erasers, um, doing all sorts of weird stuff to try and make a buck here and there. It's very entrepreneurial. And then when I was in college, my sophomore year, I was introduced. One of my professors talked about this guy named Will Allen, who was an urban farmer from Milwaukee. And I really liked the way he was doing it. It was all very sustainable, closed loop organic systems. 
And that kind of like re-sparked my passion for agriculture. So I was writing all my papers on that. Um, in the summers, I would try to work at farms, right? So I started working at Thera Farms to make sure I like the hands-on stuff. And then it was just a matter of after I graduated college, I was just searching the internet for years, it seems, um, in college and actually after college, like, all right, I want to be an entrepreneur. I want to do something in agriculture. What is that one crop that I'm going to be able to grow and actually get this going? Like, I don't have a lot of space. I'm broke as hell. Um, you know, like, how am I going to get this done? And then all of a sudden, these YouTube videos started coming out. You can start a business growing microgreens. And I was like, oh my gosh, this is it. Like, finally. So I quit the job I was doing at the time. I had $3,000 saved to my name, invested it all in the business, and then just took it from there. That was back in 2016. Yeah, that's that's when I started growing too. Do you mind me asking what your degree was in or what your college pursuit was in? Yeah, sure. So I originally went to college pursuing paper engineering. I really didn't know what I wanted to do with my life. Everybody was going to college. It was just a thing that you just yeah. do. You know, it was just expected of me. And my dad had found this cool environmental school, SUNY ESF, Environmental Science and Forestry. And he was like, look, Don, like there's an engineering major in paper engineering with 100% job placement and the starting salary was like 80 something thousand. So I was like, sure, I'll try that. Did that for two years. Um, it was cool. I, I enjoyed my base education in engineering, but then I ended up switching over to sustainable energy management. And that was the degree I ended up graduating with. Well, it fits in with growing better than like psychology. So, I mean, it's, it kind of <laughs> works. Yeah. yeah. Where I'm... are you? You're in Canada, correct? No, I'm not. I'm in New York. Why did I think you're in Canada? I don't know. Because all microgreen growers that are on the internet are in Canada, apparently. That's, I always have like, Oh, I was thinking of micro YYZ. I'm sorry. Yeah. New York is, that's right. I did know you're in New York because you were in a little bit of concrete. And I always assume for no reason, since all of the micro green growers that I, I come across on the internet are usually in Canada. <laughs> I don't know why. That's Again, with the Curtis Stone thing, I assumed that it was, uh, it was correlated. My bad. Okay. New York is way all better. Good. All good. Yeah. And so 2016, which is, that was one year before I started how did you start? Like people, like you said, people usually find microgreens. I found it because my partner at the time worked in the restaurant industry in Asheville, North Carolina, which is big foodie town. So the restaurant she worked at, the chefs were already doing microgreens and they just kind of sucked. So I said, <laughs> like, this didn't look good. So I saw a little niche. How did you, um, what went through your brain realizing that it could actually work like what thought process did you go through where you're like this is this could actually be a viable business it was very simple actually and it wasn't like this could work it was like this is it i'm going to make this work like there was no opportunity for failure once i saw this and uh so I started in my parents' basement. They, I was lucky enough to have great parents. I was still living at home. You know, mommy was feeding me every night. So I had no, really no expenses. I wasn't paying rent. I was getting fed. And then they let me use the corner of the basement that my dad's drum set was in. So I kind of just sectioned it off. It was like a 10 by 10 space. I got three racks going in there. I just started growing and bringing it out to local health food stores and doing farmer's markets and just getting the word out about the company and growing it from there. And really the one like, core part of my business model was the home delivery subscription model, which I kind of pioneered for the industry, I would say, because in the beginning, I was told to sell to chefs, but I realized very quickly, I didn't really want to work with the chefs. They were kind of annoying to work with. And then also I was learning about the health benefits of living foods at the same time. 
So I figured of all the value that these crops can bring, obviously health, you have nothing without your health. So I was like, let's sell these for health purposes rather than a garnish on a plate. So I did the, I did the farmer's markets and I was recruiting people from there into the home delivery subscription where I would bring it right to their door for free weekly subscription. And uh, that was a great way for me to be helping my local community and dipping my toe in entrepreneurship. Exactly. Like you said, yeah, it is the best way I know to get exposed to the local growing or food scene because it, you know, if you're going to do like full farming, like now I do full, full on permaculture and food forest, um, but we don't have to monetize it, thankfully. Yeah. But that is the best way. That's why I was like, I can actually get in with all of the growers. I moved here to Asheville farming and I learned that I could get in to all that. We have a really cool um, regional sustainable agriculture group called ASAP, Appalachian Sustainable Agriculture Project. And it's basically just a conglomeration of like 200, well, probably more hundreds of farms doing all sorts of things. And they're all within like 150 mile radius, I think. But it was a good intro into that to learn everyone, to learn the niches, to get exposure with farmers markets and and all that. We've kind of skipped over the, uh, the base because I got excited to learn about your story. Could you go over what microgreens are for people who have never heard of them and uh, maybe your your favorite ones and uh, and what you're doing in your basement. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, sure. Uh, so microgreens are very basically just young vegetables. They're plants that are grown to a stage in their life cycle where they just have their first two leaves, which are called their cotyledon leaves because they actually come like inside that seed hull, inside that shell, there's going to be a little seed in there. And that seed actually splits into two when it germinates. And that splitting becomes and forms the first two leaves. So as the plant grows, um, they're typically grown in trays and 10 by 20 trays. They're grown under lights, typically inside a lot of the time, but you can grow them in greenhouses. And they're really just this part of the life cycle right before the true leaves come out, which would be that second set of leaves that comes up through the middle right there. Um, so right before those come out is when you harvest them. In general, some microgreens, you know, you're looking for the true leaves, you know, like my cilantro, I, I bring out the true leaves, so they're growing a little bit longer, but it's essentially just a very young plant. And some of the benefits are they still have all that energy, that living life force from that seed that was just, you know, germinated and blasted into life. So they're just very concentrated in nutrition, vitamins, enzymes, minerals. It's, they're great. And you can really feel their effect on your body when you're eating them consistently. So it's awesome. I love them. Yeah. What's the... um What's the difference between microgreens and sprouts? Because I've got tired of answering that question so many times. So how do you distinguish them? <laughs> so sprouts and microgreens, they have a few differences. The sprouts are actually just a younger phase of the life cycle of the plants, and they're grown a little bit differently. So the sprouts, they're typically grown in a mason jar with just water, and they're grown for about three to five days. And when they're ready, you're eating the seed, the root, and the plant. You're eating the whole thing all at once. And they don't need sunlight either. And as a matter of fact, certain sprouts, you don't even want to introduce to sunlight because then they'll get a little bit bitter. So then the microgreens are typically grown in a growing medium rather than just in a mason jar with just water. And they're grown under lights, so they need light. And you're cutting them above the surface. So you're eating just the plant in the microgreens case, whereas the sprouts are eating the, the whole thing, the root, the seed, and the plant. Yeah, so. that was perfect. And that's why I... A lot of people ask about bacterial contamination risk because you'll get like 
random outbreaks from bean sprouts or certain things will just make news headlines. And I'm like, you're cutting above the seed hole. There's next to no risk unless you're splashing soil for for contamination. Most of the bacterial and fungal contamination is on the seed, right? So people are a little more uh, at ease with eating a microgreen sometimes. Potentially. I mean, a lot of the seeds, if you're buying seeds that are for sprouting and microgreens, right. typically they've been triple tested for pathogens. So they're relatively safe at this point because of you know how the industry has progressed. A lot of times when you see these things like a contamination issue, it's almost always mismanagement of the product. And it's always with sprouts, not microgreens. For instance, like Jimmy John's has been royally amazing at screwing this up. Um, it's like every contamination issue with the sprouts, it's always coming from Jimmy John's because they're just mismanaging and they're getting contaminated probably from the meats that they have around. It's getting on the sprouts. And then because of the way that sprouts are, they're just by nature, it's an environment that will allow any sort of pathogen to spread pretty rapidly in those sprouts. So it's just very wet. It's very moist. Everything's very dense. They're growing very quickly. So it's generating heat. It's just, uh, it's a perfect, it's a perfect environment for mold to start growing. So if you're not if you're not careful, if you contaminate them in some way, then you could run into an issue. But in general, microgreens, they don't have as big of a problem with that because they're not grown in this condensed little mason jar where they're all kind of stuck together in a high humid environment. They're grown in the open. There's airflow in the room. Um, so it's, it's, it's a little bit different. And then also the growing medium that we use, I always recommend my students like use something fresh out of the bag every time, you know, I'm never using compost from outside or any sort of crazy soil that I got from somewhere. It's always a horticultural potty mix that comes right out of the bag. And then we're using that. So even if there was, you know, a little bit of dirt, you know, it's going to be touching the seed. It's going to be touching the plants a little bit. Uh, so I'm not running into an issue there. There's no, no contamination in there as well. So. Yeah, like, that's, that's a great point. The soil is probably one of the touchiest. That's your, main concern right there's not a whole lot that goes into micro seed soil water light yeah. so like the i love giving it to people as a way to give them the love of growing like you said in your childhood because it is so i mean theoretically simple and physically simple but there's some things that can go but if they just get like a crop of something really easy like a radish just the you see the eyes light up because you just grew your own food in seven days or something like that it is the most instant gratification thing and i absolutely love giving to people who want to dip their toes into a green thumb maybe they don't want to do like a raised bed outside just yet or put like a full season's work in <laughs> especially yeah. in it's a very hot humid climate in north carolina so we have a ton of fungal pressure and just everything in, in the middle of summer so microgreens are are so nice and the, yeah the business model aspect of it so i cut you off during your story so how did you go from in your parent corner of your parents basement to full commercial operation yeah so and by the way i totally agree like microgreens are the gateway crop like yeah, that yeah. is the way to get into farming for sure so started in my parents basement um the most negative i went was probably about 4500 bucks and that was simply because i didn't have a ton of guidance at the time just making a bunch of mistakes buying the wrong stuff whatever uh, so I made all that money back in nine months. So in nine months from starting my business, um, and this is with zero business knowledge, like nothing. I was just starting from nothing, just going at it and trying it. Uh, I was net positive in nine months. I knew that the business was profitable at this point. So I moved out of my parents' basement into a local deli that had been run down. It was kind of like this famous deli because it was smack in the middle of a residential neighborhood, but it was a commercial deli. And the reason why I was allowed, it was because it was grandfathered in. So 
and I'd been shut down for about 10 years at this point, just run down. So I contacted him. His name is Artie. And I was like, hey, Artie, like, let me move in. I'm going to fix it up and I'm going to start my business in here. And he said, all right, are you sure? And I was like, yeah, let's do it. So I moved into there. That was my first commercial like urban farm space. And I went from three racks to 10 racks in there in one year. And this was essentially like my second year in business where I did $100,000 in that second year. Uh, so that was pretty exciting. And then at that point, I was starting to think about YouTube. And because I had also maxed out my space, I moved into my second urban farm space, which was at Rexer's Crossroads Farm in Huntington. Uh, all of this is in Huntington. I've always been in Huntington. Rexer's Crossroads Farm, he had this big, um, big open like green building that had prior been used as a art gallery for his now ex-wife. And uh, so I moved into there and was running my business from there. So any of my YouTube videos that you've seen of me teaching, it's in that farm space, which was my second commercial urban farm. And uh, that's where I was operating until I had a big problem with the landlord and I ended up moving out of there. I left there in April of 2020, what year is it, 2023? So 2022, April is when I was leaving that space. I had my business shut down for a year and then I finally got it up and running uh, this year back in April again. So I was shut down for a full year and then reopened from the basement of this house that I'm living in now, which is perfect. <laughs> Wow. Okay. So you probably have a whole bunch of insight. So you you were cranking. 100K is a good amount of money for any fledgling business. Yeah. And uh, a rack, I'm assuming when you say a rack, you mean uh, 16 trays? 20. I have oh, uh, 20. Okay. five shelves. Yeah. Cool. All right. Um, yeah. So tw um, 20 tray, 10 by 20 trays, which is a lot. If anyone is having, I'll put, um, I'll overlay some videos of that. If anyone's having trouble visualizing that, that's a lot of greens. Like it's just a full stack of greens. It looks really impressive when those are stacked next to each other. Like there's just a lot of food. So how did you get from, that's a hundred K is a good mark. Like what were your, did you just go full out with all marketing strategies or what was like your 80%, right? Curtis Stone always talks about what's the Pareto principle in, in agriculture. Like 20% of your clientele will bring in 80% of your rep. What was your like crux, your bread and butter? who really appreciated your crops. So the 80-20 rule didn't completely apply to me. Yeah. And it wasn't necessarily because of how the business grew naturally. It was because I was informing the decisions on the business mm. and kind of choosing who I wanted my customers to be, which is important in business. You know, you want to you wanna be serving the people that you want to be serving. So it's important to kind of control that yourself. But anyways, so I started in farmer's markets. That was a great way for me to figure out what to say to customers and try different packaging and different pricing. And then also the people at farmer's markets are highly pre-qualified. They're looking for that type of product and they're also local. So farmer's markets were an amazing place to start. I was doing those heavy for about three years. Uh, and that was how I was meeting a lot of people, getting their emails and then converting them into weekly subscribers where I would deliver right to their home. Then I would also be bringing my crops to various different health food stores and grocery stores on Long Island. So I was in about six at the time. And then I had one distributor called Our Harvest and they weren't like a B2B distributor distributing to other restaurants. It was more of like a B2C distributor. So I was able to sell to them and then they were selling to customers. So, but in terms of like, not revenue numbers, but in terms of number of customers, yeah. the 80-20 rule totally applies where it would be mostly home delivery customers 
and then a few health food stores, the farmers markets, and the distributor. Yeah, convenience is definitely king. And if the only problem I ran into with uh, with home delivery was just a logistics nightmare, I really disliked driving around or paying someone to drive around and deliver. Um, I might have hit it a little later than you do, where gas was getting prohibitive and. We just got t- like my business partner and I just got tired of it. So we we tended to focus more on the wholesale. But for people who are just starting, that is where the gold is. Home del- I mean, everyone expects home delivery at this point, just with online ordering. So if yeah, if you can make that work, scales really, really fast. That's cool. Since so it sounds like you've had a massive now experience in you said you let it go. And then you had to start it back up from a new location. Did all your customers stay with you whenever you fired it back up in your in your new location? Most of them did. I did a few changes to my business model as I opened up just because I know quite a bit about the business now. Been doing it for you know five or six years before reopening. Um, so I actually didn't end up going back to the health food stores or the distributor. And it's because I'm taking the opposite approach to what you guys did. Like yeah. I didn't like the wholesale stuff because I had to drop my margins so that way they could make their margins on it. So I figured now that I'm in my basement, I'm almost limited by space again. So let me get the most value out of my space rather than reducing my margins and trying to go for volume. So another one of my goals was being more sustainable. So I switched all my packaging over to 99% plant-based, biodegradable and compostable packaging. And then not only that, I wanted to ax stickers. I wanted to completely get rid of stickers because one, it's an added cost. And two, if I was throwing a sticker, a vinyl sticker onto the packaging that was sustainable, now I just defeated that purpose. So health food stores weren't going to be a good option because one, the margin thing, but two, the sticker thing. And then same thing with my distributor. So I'm doing just all home deliveries. And then I started working with chefs, which is something that I originally didn't want to do because it was a little bit tricky. And also they, they want varieties that are a little bit trickier to grow, which now I have the chops to grow at this point. So working with a few chefs and then all home deliveries. um, And I was able to get like most of my customers back. A few of them didn't come back. They had just like stopped eating them in in the year or they just moved or whatever. So um, that's all good. And now my business is back up and running again since April. It's not quite as big as it was when it was at its peak, which was actually in the middle of COVID. Um, but it's still doing very good. We're at like 1600 bucks a week, which is totally awesome. I'm running it as a family business right now, doing it with my girlfriend, her sister, like my dad's doing the the delivery driving. So it's really cool to have it as a family business and Hey, it's paying some of the bills and paying the rent payment here. So, you know, that's one of the great benefits of having your business running from home. You get to utilize some business expenses mixed in with your personal stuff. So that's definitely a great benefit. Yeah, exactly. We we actually never had to do a full commercial. One of the reasons microgreens can work so well and is so scalable at the beginning is because you stay in the rent-free zone as long as you can. So we we had large just open rooms in my we have a farm, but we didn't actually ever use the farm. We used just large open rooms in the house because you didn't it was already um temperature controlled and humidity controlled and all that. Yeah, I mean you said you're pulling in so 5k ish a month now so it's about 1500 yeah look i guess it's closer to six i'm doing like 6k a month that's right a, now. a great side hustle like for anyone <laughs> who wants to get started even like half of that's a great side hustle 3k a month and it's right if you don't have to pay someone rent and you're already heating and cooling and everything is there and you just have to pay for a little extra electricity for leds and 
soil and seed, that is a great way to just bring in some extra cash flow. Yeah. It's yeah. the best way to do, in my opinion. I don't I can't think of any other business model that's like better, more fulfilling. I got one for you. I'll tell you after. <laughs> right, sure, I'm sure. in the I'm in the water business. Uh and that has zero um inventory. Basically, you don't have to manage anything. And it's as we equally impactful. But microgreens is the second one, which is why I was so infatuated with it so much. But you have that that direct connection too with microgreens. Like people are just generally happy to get them. It's not like they're getting soup or just something like it, they're just so alive and vibrant and colorful. Like people are just ecstatic to get them. Usually some, I had some wheatgrass customers who were just like overjoyed when I brought them the two trays of wheatgrass and they were a little too ecstatic about it. It was funny. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that's just... the way it goes. And, and most of the time the customers are just like really nice as well. Yeah. Cause the people who are eating microgreens, like they're just typically, typically going to be a good vibe, you know? True. Yeah. Um, more into the, uh, crop specific stuff. Cause I just want to pick your brain. Um, did you hate growing sunflowers as much as I did? Um, in the beginning I did, but at this point I'm so good at growing them and yeah. I have such good seeds that they're not an issue for me. And, and my business model really requires me to grow them. So it's almost like it was forced on me that I had to get really yeah. good at growing sunflower. So at this point, no, they don't bother me at all, but they totally did in the beginning. And I, and I feel your pain. Like they're obviously like more of a pain than a lot of the other crops for sure. Which is unfortunate because they're the one that most people want to know and see whenever they're like, they associate almost microgreens with like, it's usually either a, a brassica mix of cabbage and broccoli because it's green and purple or it's sunflowers. Everyone's like, can I grab sunflowers? And like you said, it's, it's required. I adapted your sunny sampler to something I saw yours and I was like, oh, it's such a good idea. Yeah, just packed of vibrancy and usually because they have a lower cost so where they just produce so much weight so you can make up a ton of weight with them and they're just delicious. So few people I know, some people are like, these kind of just taste grassy. And I was like, okay, I guess I can see that. But the like nutty, oily, they're so satisfying. Yeah. So satiating, I love them. Um, what were your main ones? What were you predominantly growing? So it's cool that the same original four varieties are the same that I kept going to this day. So radish, pea, sunflower, and broccoli. And then of course I had the wheatgrass going. Um, so those are really my core varieties. And then for the chefs, now I started doing a rainbow mix, which is pea, red acre cabbage, and then like the purple and pink radishes. Um, I'm also doing cilantro and leeks. So those are some of the new varieties for chefs. But the core four, broccoli, pea, sunflower, radish. Yeah, I think for everyone, those are the the must-haves and the staples. And I mean, you get those dialed in and you can do any mix you want, right? It's it's yeah. just infinitely flexible. Do you do any weird ones? Like we had, we did amaranth at one point, any like reds or they're just kind of more pain in the butt and they grow way more slowly. So they take up a lot of space, but do you ever play with any of the, the harder sort of brighter ones? So cilantro, I would say is on the trickier side. You yeah. got to know a few of the nuances to growing cilantro. Um, so those are fun. I was growing red amaranth for a while. But then I got a new batch of seeds and they just started molding a lot. And I think it was because of the extra just like random matter that was in there. It wasn't just seeds. Oftentimes there's just like, what is, what's it called in the label? Like noxious weeds or Bath. like other, yeah, other plant matter. So that was a problem. But then I got some new seeds that I just started putting into the mix again. So we'll see how those do. If they do well, um, I don't know if I'll add them as just like their own product. 
but I will totally be adding those into the rainbow mix just to make it even more rainbow. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So that or bull's blood bead or red beet, but red beet had, like you said, way, way too high of a damping off issue. Like the moisture control on those was ridiculous and almost needed like a lock box of temperature control. And I don't like being that I'm very anal and, and controlling as it is. So anything that forces me to pay that much more attention, I really don't like, cause I try to shift out of that perspective for myself. I like having a little wiggle room. And that, when I was making videos, that's kind of what I was cautioning people about. Cause I had a, I wasn't as um, full blown course as you, but I was like, if you're going to start doing this, do not start with the the fun ones that you see on plates like bull's blood beat because you're just going to go crazy and get just pissed off at the process of managing damping off and root rot and all of the things that are also trying to eat your products yeah Yeah. what if someone was going to start growing just for themselves or i guess a business like what are the top three things that you would be like get this nailed down before you start experimenting so one thing to nail down is trying to like really dial in your climate and wherever you're going to be growing. So pick a room in your house, dial in the climate. We're talking temperature, humidity, and airflow. What are your so, ideals? So yeah, I was just about to go into okay. it. So the ideals, I like to keep my temperature right around like 70, 71. But as long as you're not dropping below like 66, 67, you should be good. And then I never like to get my temperature above like 74. Once you get out of those ranges, you're going to increase your chances of problems. And then humidity, 40 to 60% is great. Right now, my main dehumidifier is broken. So I've been rocking out around like 80. So it's been a little bit of a challenge. But because, you know, I have experience, I know how to manage that. And then the last thing is airflow. You don't want air blowing directly on your crops, but as long as the air is just flowing in the room, that's going to be working well for you. So they can kind of get rid of their excess moisture. And it also helps to prevent from any mold spores that are in the air from settling down and proliferating. So first thing, getting your climate dialed in. Next thing is getting your crop cycles dialed in, making sure you know how much seeds to use and how long your crop cycles take for each variety. You want to be confident in your not only how to grow each variety, but also in knowing when they're going to be ready. That way you can figure out exactly when to be planting each variety each week. So that way they're all ready at the same time. So you could harvest on the same day and then, you know, bring fulfillment to your customers. And then I would say outside of climate and growing, um, this is kind of involved and interacts with climate and definitely involved with growing, but this definitely deserves its own like third category is watering. You want to really dial in your watering. The biggest problem I see with new growers is watering. They're either overwatering most of the case or underwatering, which is when your plants just fall over and get dehydrated. But a lot of the times I see overwatering, which is re- resulting in just like terrible germination, mold forming, just a bunch of nonsense that you don't want to be happening. So those are definitely the three big things. Perfect. Yeah. Um, did you prefer bottom watering or do you just hose top water everything? I, when I'm making the trays, I'm doing a top watering. Then I sit in germination for a few days stacked. Then right when they go under lights onto the main grow racks, I do one top watering. And then from then on out every day, I do my bottom watering. Unless it's sunflower, which I top water for the first like three to four days. those holes off. And it helps to, yeah, it rehydrates the hulls. So the hulls soak in some water and it keeps on helping to like loosen them up each day. And then I brush them with my hands to get them off. 
So yeah, it's perfect. What do you, uh, so I'm in the water world now. So I have an ionized water business and we, we got our ionizer for the microgreens when we were still growing them. Um, what do you guys use for, for water? Like just, you know, Huntington, Huntington, right? What does Huntington use for water or do you filter it in some way? So I filter it in the very beginning. I was using, uh, just straight tap water. Then when I was in my first urban farm, I got just some random, just like inline carbon filter, something very basic. And then once I got into that second urban farm, I bought something called the home water filtration system by a local company called Fountain, PH Fountain. And they were doing like a lot of the pH water and stuff. And the machine I got can do that and change Mm -hmm. the pH. I'm not a big fan of changing the pH of water. I don't fully believe in it. Mm -hmm. Uh, So I got my water filter done without any pH adjusting. So it doesn't mess with the pH. But what this filter is supposed to do is it's supposed to take out all the bad stuff and leave all the good stuff like the minerals. Yeah. So that's what I have. It's right when the water comes into my house, it goes through that. So not only is it for the farm, it's also for the outdoor hoses and irrigation. It's also for the shower and the sinks in the house. So I love it. It's been working really well for me. I think the water tastes great. Yeah. Um, so I haven't gotten it tested or anything. I haven't gone to that extent, but just from experiencing the water, I know it's definitely an upgrade, but yeah. um, you know, who knows? I could have a better filter, a worse filter. I don't, I don't really know. No, but that's the nice thing about microgreens is they appreciate the difference, but they you can get away with not having it because they're so quick. Very few things will actually knock them down other than like insects or fungus or something like that. Yeah, mostly overwatering, like you said, I overwatered or overseeded and overwatered a lot. And even like three years in, I just wouldn't be as careful one time or I'd have seeded too densely in a pocket and then I overwatered by accident. And it's just hilarious and frustrating at the same time when you're like years into something and you're still doing the rookie mistakes on smile and just losing like, you know, 10 trays of something or having to cut around it. And you're like, one day I'll get this right. (laughs) (laughs) It's so funny. And yeah, there's always something to learn. We're never like a full on master. I was even talking to uh, my original microgreens mentor, his name is Brett, and he's been at this for 26 years. He was actually working for the second ever microgreens farm to ever exist. And because of that, he has probably more microgreens experience than anybody on the planet. And even, and he just started up his own microgreens business um, from Pennsylvania a few months ago. And he says, you know, even there's still things that he's learning after being in, in it so long, he's still learning stuff and dialing stuff in. So there's always more improvement to make. Yeah. When you're working with ecosystems, you, it changes all the time with every seed batch. Something seems to change. Like they have their own little personalities. Some are more resilient. Some just suck water. Yeah. They have their own characteristics too. Like the weird uh, part about the, I did a bunch of experiments with lights and um, how much light they actually needed. And then with the ionized water, we were playing with like stem girth and things like micro YYZ up in Canada um, puts compost in there they do vermont uh, compost because the same price as their soil per uh, per volume and they saw the same thing we saw when we started playing with ionized water which was the stem girth and the sheen like the hue brightened and the stem girth thickened like they were outside it was very interesting that messed with other things because then you have to knock your seed density down a little bit so just tweaking one little thing throws you know, your usual procedures off, but it's so fascinating to see how living organisms respond to such small detailed changes. 
Yeah, it's insane. It really, it really is. And I mean, when you're working with living things, like they're just trying to do their best, right? So it's all about the environment um, and the inputs that they're given. And then they're just trying to do their best with them. So if you increase the inputs or improve them or change things around, there's always going to be some sort of weird change that you see with the plants too. Yeah. Yeah. What'd you do for lighting? Were you, uh, did you start out with fluorescent or did you go into LED immediately? I'm still fluorescence. Oh, cool. I've been, yeah. I've been using fluorescence since day one. I've been using my sun blaster lights, full spectrum sun blaster lights. Nice. Do you find there, well, have you ever played with anything else? I've played around with some LEDs that would you notice and me here and there. Um, well, the crops look much worse for pictures. That's the first thing I noticed. Um, <laughs> and then the second thing I noticed was they look like relatively the same. Like when I take them out of the lights and put them on a table, they look pretty similar. Um, so I didn't see that, that much of a crazy difference, mm -hmm. but what I also know about microgreens is that they're at, they're at such a young stage in their life cycle that they don't actually need all that much light. It's not like the most important thing in the world. Um, so didn't see too much of a difference, but I still have more experimenting to do and different lights to try as well on my end. So, yeah, no, yeah, same. I did like one fluorescent on a shelf compared with two LEDs and two fluorescents and all that. And I ended up concluding basically the same thing you did, which was it's more the presence of light just so there are photons to trigger their growth processes and they do the rest, right? Because it's pretty built in since they're only you know, max like two weeks, cilantro, maybe three weeks, very young stages. The only ones that seemed to care were the real, real bright ones, um, maybe just to get a lot of that pigmentation. Sunflowers cared a lot more about heat than yeah. light they grew regardless and radish almost didn't need light like if i just had a window cracked radish would grow like it, it didn't care at all because so quick like five six days in in springtime okay that's yeah, cool for sure. one of the things that i started doing also is like certain crops i'll run two lights on yeah. so my peas i'll do two lights instead of one and my cilantro i'll do two lights instead of one. Oh, cilantro okay i wouldn't have guessed that one yeah the peas, do you, do you go for, so everyone's got their flavor. Do you like tenderly peas or do your clients like tenderly peas or do you just like a normal pea shoot? I don't grow any pea tendrils. Okay. I just grow like the fluffiest peas I yeah. can possibly grow. So that's what I'm always going for. Just fluffy peas. That's cool. What are you most looking forward to, to keep experimenting and to, to play with, with microgreens? Um, it's funny. Like I'm not as interested in my own business as I am interested in just like the industry as a whole. Yeah. I feel like I've been a bit of a player for the industry and just like I've educated a lot of people just by being on YouTube and having my different programs and stuff. So I love seeing what other people come up with. I love seeing the weird little things that they change and do. Um, and I just, I love the industry as a whole so much that like, that's, that's normally what I'm more excited for and more focused on is just like, what are my students doing? Like, who's the next person I can help teach this to? Um, where's the next life that I could change by teaching this skill to, but I would say in terms of my business, I think I'm just most excited to, you know, fill in the whole basement and get every rack with greens on them. Uh, just knowing that at that point, the business will bring, be bringing in so much money, um, and helping so many people that like Christine and Alyssa, like they'll have much more work and like be making even more money. And it's just like, it's cool to be able to fill in a space and just see all that green and know that like, boom, like we have all this extra money coming in, which is really just your ability to do work and help more people um, pay for the mortgage and, and whatnot. 
So it's just exciting to be growing. I like growing it. And I, I've also been studying marketing for a few years now. So I love learning more about marketing and how can I sell these in different ways? How can I get to more people in my local community? How can I keep my radius for the business even tighter yeah. rather than going to the rest of Long Island, like keeping it even closer to Huntington? So there's different things like that. And then also just working with more chefs, working with more catering halls, because it's so new to me. I wasn't doing that in the past. That's just like interesting and cool and unique because I'm the type of person I always need like something new. I get bored very quickly because I learn so fast. So, and that's part of the reason why I guess the business isn't quite as exciting. I've been doing it for seven years. Yeah. So, you know, um, so there's that standpoint, but yeah, I think just trying these new varieties, getting them really dialed in and working with these chefs and catering halls and just seeing what new weird experiences that will happen just by, by nature working with them. So yeah. yeah. What, what's come through so far, any, any, uh, ones that stick out in your mind for what chefs have wanted? Um, well, definitely the rainbow mix is what I realize is kind of like just the go-to microgreen mix that the chef just wants something basic, just some sort of basic microgreens that they can then go and use. And the rainbow mix seems to fill that role with the color and the flavor and getting the greens on the plate. Um, so that's definitely the go-to and then cilantro they're really liking a lot. So I would say those two are my biggest players right now is the rainbow mix and the cilantro. And you played with, um, edible or medicinal flowers at all anyone talking I, about that i want to but i just haven't gotten around to like yeah. setting it up for instance like i have a grow tent downstairs in the grow room that like i intended on growing marijuana and i have all the equipment and everything i just never got around to it like never started up never did it i find that when there's something that you haven't done before the hurdle to get into it is so much greater than something that you've done before and you're just doing again so a lot of activation energy yeah yeah, so that's definitely happening here with uh, growing growing pot and getting into the edible flowers because the edible flowers is such a it's a, it makes so much sense to be adding into this type of business with the chefs. Then you could easily get into like the bartenders at the at the restaurants. Um, they're just so pretty and beautiful. So what I want to do is start messing around with edible flowers. Hopefully that'll happen this winter, maybe. Um, and then also with that grow tent that I was originally going to grow the cannabis in, I'll probably end up growing mushrooms in there yep. more likely than not. So those are definitely like the, the next gateway crops for microgreens, then add in the edible flowers and the mushrooms. And then you're really just off to the races. Yeah. It's weird. Before we swapped out, that's what we were, the plan was to do, um, the highly profitable medicinal mushrooms. The flowers are tricky because you need a little more space. So we could do them now because we have greenhouse, but some things like pea flowers or nasturtiums are very quick. So a, a lot of, a lot of chefs and bars wanted nasturtiums. They wanted mint, borage, um, just all the bright colorful ones that just make a real splash on the plate that also just taste super different. Like no one knows or knows what to expect when they eat a nasturtium. And they're like, yeah. I didn't know this was so spicy. And you're like, nope, <laughs> me neither. Yeah. Uh, marigold is also a showstopper. People stick it in ice cream because it tastes like pure citrus before the the flower comes out. So True Leaf has some um, marigold that's bred to just grow to be about that big. So it'll never flower. I mean, it will eventually, but that's not what it's bred for. And the leaves, the fronds are so tender after like two weeks and it tastes like pure orange or lemon, just stick it in a thing of ice cream. And it's so cool. Yeah. That's so cool. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. It was my favorite part of, of just the experiments, but the, um, the weight is so much less with flowers and, and those herbs that it's kind of hard to work it into your price model at some point. Yeah. 
I sell everything by volume to the chefs for that exact reason. Right. Good call. What are the most exciting things or um, things that you're just like, that's so cool about your students since you do have that, that educational aspect to your business? Like what, what just lights you up whenever you see your students doing something? Just the fact, like, I remember what it felt like growing my first trays of microgreens. And like, we talked about it a little bit before, like that first experience, how they grow so fast and all that. And like, you could go from having the worst brown thumbs ever. And now you all of a sudden have a green thumb. So just like, especially with the challenge that I started this year and going through it with my VIPs, like live on camera and just seeing them like growing their first crops and getting excited about it. And then I'm like getting excited for them. Like, that's definitely just so rewarding because even in addition to just seeing their initial joy of being able to grow their own food, I know how impactful and how important that skill is um, as a whole. So like, I know that, that if I give them the best experience now, that hopefully it'll just last and they'll keep on growing and maybe even start a business and just who knows what it could grow into in the future. You know, everything starts as a seed, even an idea, a business. Yeah. It's all seeds just to be uh, super nerdy and plant like plant nerdy here. Um, oh, it all starts as a seed and just like you, you never know what it can grow into. So just seeing them have that initial excitement and then just like me knowing on my side what that potential could turn into is just it fills me up big time. And then knowing that I'm providing value, like that's a big thing that hits with me. Um, I'll tell you a funny little story that I've told quite a few times and it's so silly. But, uh, you know, obviously as kids, we have these little traumas, right? And I had just like such an easy childhood. My traumas are like nothing compared to what I've heard from other people. So one of my traumas was I was good at building computers and I was building these gaming computers for myself and my friends and I was whatever. You could build a more powerful computer for cheaper. And it came time for my parents to get a new computer. And instead of them letting me build a computer for them, which I wanted to do and I was ready to do and whatever, they dragged me to Best Buy and made me watch them buy a shitty Lenovo from the Best Buy guy. And it just like crushed me. And I, it put such a chip on my shoulder. And it was like, I had this value to the bring to the table and it got snuffed out. And like, that's so unfortunate and sad. So yeah, that's like the extent of my childhood trauma, which is so funny. Um, but anyways, so I think that as I got onto YouTube and started teaching others how to do this and then seeing the responses and having them show gratitude to me and having them explain how they started their own business businesses and just the feeling that I was now able to, to give value and that it was accepted and so well received, it like really fills me up in a huge way, which I think probably correlates to this silly little childhood trauma. So, um, you know, just in general, just teaching, it's just so much fun for me and really fulfilling. So yeah, having your gifts be valued and seen is, is huge, especially if it's something that brings you joy. Yeah. yeah te- teaching my greens is one of the most fulfilling things. Like I just did it just because I was doing it anyway. So I just filmed it. And those are still some of the, the most impactful videos. Like my first YouTube videos, just filming microgreen stuff, still some of the ones that get the, the most grateful comments. Cause people are just like, I now grow my own, not as a business. I just feed my family with it. I was like, yeah, that feels good. It's the easiest way for food resilience. I mean, you're not going to like max out your calories with them, but growing greens all year is so rewarding. You just take your nutrition back in like a week. That's yeah, totally hundred percent. Yeah. I was also a computer nerd as a kid. So we have have matching pictures there. Yeah. Why do you think so many, I'll say engineering types, but just sort of left brain types go into food cultivation and microgreens specifically? Like what do, what do you think the, the draw and the call is to agriculture? I think the logical mind 
there's some sort of like practical essence that is involved there as well. And when you get down to it, like it just makes sense. Like nature is abundant. The systems that our society has have set up are purposely made to almost not be abundant. They're they're set up to exploit the humans. So when we look back to nature and see how much abundance is there, you know, it just made sense. Like we're taking these commoditized, super low cost items, aka the seeds, and turn them into a high value crop in no time at all. Like that just made sense to me when I saw it. And, you know, it just makes sense. Like we're working nine to five jobs, slaving away to make a pay that's getting taxed. And then we're paying for food that is then killing us. It's just like, it's all ass backwards. So, you know, I think the logical, the practical mind, it just brings us back to nature naturally and just shows us like, look, there's something here, grow food. It just makes sense. And you could even make businesses out of it, help people, feed your family, feed yourself. It's amazing. So that's that's what I think. I could be totally off there. No, that was perfectly said. That was gorgeous. And the thing that I, I like along that train of thought is you mentioned cycles earlier. It's the perfect way if you're thinking about becoming a, a larger farmer or like actually having land on a like a market garden or a commercial actually monetizing food production, microgreens are the perfect way to see if you are brained or enjoy managing cycles and harvest times. Because farming has such a, and it's still, it's very romantic, but when I was even younger, like 10 years ago, when I first started farming, it was so idealized and romanticized in my my brain because I was going to feed the world and I was vegan and vegetarian at the time. And it's still like extremely necessary, but that's dissipated a little bit because I've seen the ins and outs. But what no one talks about is the stress of managing living organisms and having to think in cycles all the time. Yeah. And when you're out in just in the in the real ecosystem, not in a controlled environment, the cycles are so much longer and your errors ripple and can cost you like an entire crop, like three or four months. Microgreens had none of that. They are the perfect playground to see if you are good or like managing living cycles. Like you said, you can stack like seven days on top of three weeks and just kind of seeing how everything correlates and if you can manage harvesting. So it's a really good way if you're thinking about going into like food production as a, a business to see if you enjoy managing any of that. Cause if that drives you nuts, that's going to be like your every week, <laughs> either have someone else do that for you, or you might not like growing microgreens because it is such a cyclical thing, but the, you get so many more trial and error periods. Like my uh, my farming partner who I did the microgreens with, I started, he came in two years later and he did commercial hemp in North Carolina whenever it boomed here. And uh, he loved the micros because he could experiment, screw up an entire crop and be like, get to try it again next week. Like if he screwed up a hemp crop, that's you know four or five months gone. So screw up a crop of broccoli, do it again next week. Like you short yeah. someone this week and then it comes back next week. It's so nice. Yeah, so different. It's definitely like, the instant gratification, like, especially because I think about kids with that, like they don't have as big of attention spans as us. And when they could actually see that the work that they put in generates the results and in that quick of time, like that's amazing. So the instant gratification and yeah, everything that you're talking about, the quick learning cycles, because it's only a week, especially with like things like radish, you're just, you can learn so much faster because you're getting those cycles in. And then from the profit margin standpoint, like you're able to 
start a business and I can have like a product in one week that's ready to go. So yeah, it just works from so many different fronts and it's amazing. It's part of the, like, I'm just obsessed with them. It's such a good, it just makes so much sense for eating yourself and for also doing it as a business, whatever you want to go for. Yeah. Like this is, it's just so amazing. Do you see any, any market popping up? I had, I was teaching, I used to work at a um, farm and garden, little grow shop part-time in, in Asheville. And I was growing them in the tent that we had on display and my coworkers started growing them. And he has a very um, particular kid as in just lives on Oreos and mostly junk food, wouldn't touch vegetables, but he would eat red acre cabbage because it was crunchy. And I was like, oh, interesting. So the, the thing with the exposure to kids, because they're so, so vibrant, they don't have the um, the mushiness or the textural things that sometimes cooked vegetables will. And they're so fresh and they just play with senses. Do you see any sort of any, um, not market, but exposure to getting kids to eat a little more nutrition that way? Have you run into that at all? I mean, yeah, totally. I've run into it. I had my niece and nephew over here last weekend and I was showing them the farm and they love the peas. Like he, I even gave them some rainbow mix and they were just picking out the peas because they figured out what they looked like very rapidly. Kids are so damn smart. And uh, they were just like eating all the peas up. So, and I've noticed that in the past too. Kids traditionally, they do like the peas. And one thing also that plays with the kids is oftentimes like kids are small. So they just like love other small things. They love cute little things. So these are like cute little mini vegetables uh, so like that totally works for the kids as well. So yeah, I, I've definitely noticed it with kids and specifically the peas, but what I would love to see more than anything is education in schools. So yeah, that's a huge one there. The uh, farm we merged with sprout culture here is doing that. So we have a couple schools in the 45 minute radius that are open to the idea of a incorporating microgreens, but having like him come in at a school lunch break or something and just do like a real basic overview of like how to grow this at home because it is so cost effective right you don't have to buy a massive kit you can buy a truly market kit or just get like a anything to put soil in and just some seeds for you know five bucks and and grow it yourself like it is so quick and easy yeah yeah absolutely cool um i've covered a lot anything about your journey or that we missed that you would want to share um I mean, not necessarily. I would say for anybody listening, just get growing. Like, I don't know what you're waiting for. Even if, you've <laughs> never done, even if you've never done it before, like I know I just said before, if you've never done something, it's hard to like get over the cusp and just like try it out. But like at the end of the day, it's not going to cost you much money. Even if you don't want to start with microgreens, start with sprouts, grow some sprouts in a mason jar. Just learn how to grow a little bit of your own food. I promise you it's going to be rewarding. It's going to be different. It's going to feel awesome. And like this like growing our own food, if we all just grew some of our own food, the whole world would change. I have no doubt in my mind that the whole world would change if we all just grew a little bit of our own food. That might be the one most impactful thing that we can do is just grow a little bit of our own food and get back to nature and start putting some more nutrients in our body. And that's the way I just think. And that's what I want to start just keep on promoting, right? Is just getting people growing their own food. I love it. I think it's so impactful. So yeah, agreed. Bring back the the victory gardens at whatever scale you have, balcony, rack, window, raised bed, literally anything. Yeah, it's it's the scale that I'm a big uh, resilience and, and sovereignty guy because of my health coach by trade. And that is the one thing that 
like people don't lose sight of is you, you have to eat every day. So it it's always a good reminder of how much power you have. You can just in a week, take that control back. It's so cool. Yeah, absolutely. I love it. Where can, uh, where can people find your, your videos, your courses and, and all that? So I would say the best places I could send you, if you want just like a bunch of free videos that you can kind of just like run through and binge watch, um, like a Netflix series or something, just go to go to YouTube, type in Donnie Greens, and you'll find all my YouTube videos. You could just start at the beginning and watch all the videos if you really wanted to. Plenty of people do that. Um, and then the best place to actually dive in and really start working with me and learn how to grow your own microgreens at home is go to onetrayaway.com. That's my One Tray Away challenge where I walk you through each day and teach you how to grow these greens. And if you live in the USA, you're actually going to get a free grow kit with um, a bunch of trays and grow mats and seeds. So you'll be ready to rock and roll. And I'll be there holding your hand all the step of the way, because the last thing I want is for people to get like the wrong advice or go with the wrong method or don't have the support that they need. And then they try it once and they're like, oh, this isn't for me. Like that is the biggest heartbreak to me. So my biggest goal for the challenge is, is just to give people the best experience they could possibly get um, on the first time or maybe the seventh time, whenever, whenever time it is, just take the challenge and I'll teach you all the things that I've been learning over the years, all the best methods. So. Yeah, that was, that was great. Alex Formosi, who's a marketer has a quote and it, uh, it came up when you said that, which is, uh, he pays people to get the lessons without the scars. So that's kind of what, you know, you really want is, do you want to, some people love having to go through from scratch and get all of the hard lessons themselves, because that's what they need to actually integrate it but you don't have to do that <laughs> if you want the lessons without the scars you got plenty of material i got plenty of material it's such a good skill to have for life yeah there's whatever we can do to reduce that activation energy the amount for you to get started everything yeah. is there yeah absolutely perfect so thanks so much for your time today man yeah thank you for having me yeah my pleasure